0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. Show this morning, we talked about a number of things that, you know, Genesis 2, or 3, I really should go into that much more in depth, but uh, we put up uh, a webpage under our Bible section at Preparing You, and I also talked uh, to one of our ministers who's going to be in Michigan, Detroit, Michigan this uh by this evening. I guess they're probably en route right now. And uh talking about setting up congregations in uh the Detroit area and uh possibly they'll make contact with somebody in Canada. I noticed that somebody was trying to join the Canadian group and uh I had had a call from somebody, although it's different names. Yeah, one is saying his name Jacques, and the other one was saying john <laughs> so but John and Jacques, I think are the same but uh one was supposedly in Toronto and the other one uh appears to be in quebec and uh and has a french connection uh so to speak at least at his name so if they're out there and they they need to join the network it is it is very difficult to keep track of everybody. And so that's why we created preparingyou.com and at hisholychurch.org that you go there and you can find a a network group based on geography. If you're in Canada, join the Canada group. If you're in uh, Michigan, join the Michigan group. And then you get uh, not only access to uh, our recordings and announcements and... uh, You know, we have at the end of this month, we have the Burning Bush Festival that will be out here. There will be people traveling across the U.S. and we'll share rides, share company as they travel uh, if you want to come. And uh, we don't charge anything, but of course, like the fall festivals, you're supposed to not come empty-handed. You're supposed to come with the intention of sharing with others, and then there will be an abundance. It always seems like it's only a few people that are doing all the work. And uh, although that's improving, I mean, the first time we had these festivals, it was ridiculous. So many people came, but they expected to be waited on and provided for. And uh, it's just, and it actually, I could see it degenerating the people. I stayed in contact with some of them for some time. It was degenerating the people. And that, of course, is where we're at in society where you have uh, 80% of the people that are holding public office in Oregon are in violation of the Oregon Constitution to the point where they are felons and must forfeit their office. Yet they're not doing it because nobody is enforcing it because everybody is a felon. (laughs) They would like to arrest you, but they are felons. I mean, it's clear. It's, it's a matter of public record. It isn't, it doesn't even have to be proven, although it can be easily proven in about 10 minutes in any court of law. But they don't, they ignore it. Now, if you break the law, they wouldn't ignore it. But they think they can break the law and nobody cares. And if you want to know more about that, go to Preparing You and look up Article 2, Section 22. Because we detail it out in uh, great detail. And there's actually more that we could add to that. But there's enough there, without overwhelming anybody, that uh, everybody holding public office in the state of Oregon, or not everybody, but uh, 75 to 80% of the people that are elected to office in the state of Oregon are felons. (laughs) uh, They are guilty of an unclassified felony. And even a lot of the people who don't get elected to public office are felons because they run for office and violate Article 2, Section 22. And they're secretly, with the help of the press, going to try to change that law. And that will be an interesting show. So anyway, uh, also there's a meeting coming up here locally to deal with uh, one of the most toxic chemical dumps in the state of Oregon was out here in Lake County, and uh, we have an article up on that, because we want you to be healthy, and we have articles up on GMOs, because we want you to be healthy, and we want you to uh, live well, healthy lives, and prosper, and we have articles up on vaccines, so that you can find out the truth about vaccines, and they're not quoting some radical group of anti-vaxxers. It's actually quoting the CDC to give you the facts and the information. One of the things that we talked about last week was critical thinking. And we went through that process this morning, though. We talked about, uh well, a number of things, but one of the things, that this idea of dispensations, the mosaic dispensation, the Christian dispensation. There's whole... Theologies centered around the idea of dispensations, you know, dispensational schemes and four dispensational schemes and three dispensational schemes and uh, reform uh, or uh, minimalist positions on dispensation and grace and on and on and on. And like we were saying this morning that nowhere in the Bible does it actually state a phrase that would should mean or be translated a word to be translated dispensation. You find the word dispensation uh in a few verses in the in the epistles but the actual word is stewardship, not dispensation. They just they just put in dispensation, or dispensational. Now, it doesn't mean that we aren't saved by grace. We are saved by grace. You know, if you go back, the concept of dispensation, the arrangement and division in biblical history dates back to Iranius. Do you know some of the things that, if you knew all the things that Iranius said, you would consider him a heretic. But they quote him a lot. And he was in the second century. But other Christian writers and leaders since then, such as Augustine of Hippo, which we talked about in previous weeks, and a few others, have also offered their own dispensation arrangement of history. Many Protestant writers, including Herman uh, Witsius and Francis Turretin and Isaac Watts back in 1748 also preached and taught dispensation schemes and divisions. Even the Westminster Confession of Faith noted various dispensations in 1646. So, the idea has been around for a while, but it's not from the Bible. It's really kind of just made up. Now, there. There is the dispensation of grace, because you are saved by grace. But you're supposed to love others and forgive others and extend that grace to others. It isn't supposed to be just you or just uh, Christ that uh, uh, offers grace. You're supposed to offer grace to others. The word grace in the Greek is actually the word charis, which is where we get the word charity. That people are not perfect, but you're supposed to be giving them charity and taking care of the needy of society. You have to remember, you have to understand that the early Christians, all of the welfare for Christians was provided by charity, by charis, by grace. That you help people out. You knew they weren't perfect. You knew they had problems, but you were willing to help them out you have to always be balancing that against the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is, in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. You need to be strengthening the poor. And, you know, a couple of shows back, we mentioned uh, Cummins, who is uh, this, uh, I think he's a senator from the Baltimore area. And uh, I guess his house was just broke into, uh, or at least one of his houses, because he's probably doing really well. Anybody in Congress is probably doing really well uh, because there's great opportunities to make lots of money in Congress (laughs) if you're dishonest. And most of them are probably dishonest too. If we got 75 to 80% of the uh, elected officials in Oregon are committed felons because they violate Article 2, Section 22, then it would be stand to reason of the same type of Math could be applied and integrity could be applied to the rest of people running for public office across the United States. Then probably 50% of them are felons of some sort, or at least committing dishonest acts, bearing false witness, swearing oaths. I mean, look at, look at the divergence. I mean, you actually have uh, congressmen going down and breaking the laws that they passed into being to help people illegally enter the country. Meanwhile, people who are entering the country legally have to hire lawyers and they have to spend money and they have to get medical exams and they have to prove that they're healthy and not bringing in disease and then have to prove that they're not criminals. But Congressmen are going down there and helping people get across the border and into this country illegally. They don't even know who they are. They don't do any screening. There's been screening of people coming into this country from the beginning. Now, I personally don't think we need those borders or border guards or walls if we were really a Christian nation. If we were really a Christian nation, we wouldn't be offering this welfare... Everywhere. Now, you know, one of the interesting things about early Israel is that there were all kinds of people living in Israel that were not Israelites. Because they were the strangers in your midst. And you were not to oppress them. But you also didn't have to extend them welfare. Now we have these states wanting to extend welfare to everybody who comes across the border. MS-13 guys, drug runners, prostitutes, anybody who comes across can get full medical. The people that live here, the veterans who live here, they don't get full medical. But the people who come across illegally do. I guess that's a form of dispensationalism. So anyway, so we we talked this morning about uh, dispensationalism and And pointed out that uh, in Colossians and Ephesians and um, both chapter 1 and chapter 3, verses 2, we see this word dispensation of the grace of God. But it's actually the word there is the stewardship of the grace of God, whereof I am made a minister according to the stewardship of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God in what would be counted as the Corbin of Christ. And, you know, what Corbin is should be absolutely easy for all these ministers out there. They should know what Corbin is. Somebody writes something down. Oh, the Corbin is this or Corbin is that. And they don't ever look it up. They don't ever check it out. They don't ever find it. So we had to write an article and you can find that at Preparing you and at org. What is Corbin? And we have pamphlets that you can, that you can, uh, print up yourself, you know, and, uh, pass out to people. The Corbin that made the word of God to none effect because the Corbin that Paul was steward of, in this Colossians 1.25, was making and fulfilling the Word of God. It was making the Word of God to effect. But the Corbin of modern Christianity is not. It's actually making the Word of God to none effect because it, like the Corbin of Israel, the sacrifice of Judeans was a compelled offering through force. And John the Baptist from the very beginning said no. No, not through force, through charity. Christianity is always preached, Corbin, through sacrifice and welfare for the people through charity, not through coveting your neighbor's goods. I mean, it's just so obvious. You know, I should be able to say these things and then go home. Uh, And, you know, go take care of business. But people won't, don't want to listen. It's obvious. It's obvious, it should be absolutely obvious to anybody who reads the Bible that you're not to covet your neighbor's goods. And just because you get the government to take from your neighbor through taxation, through forced offerings, the Corbin of the Pharisees, forced offerings, that now it's okay to take from your neighbor. It's not. It will, it will. according to the historian and historians, will degenerate society. And that's what we're seeing, certainly in the Democratic Party, and really it's also present in the Republican Party on both sides of the aisle. Because they're really both coveting their neighbor's goods. I mean, the Democrats are crazy covetous, but the Republicans are coming, a, you know, a close second. <laughs> to say the least. So anyway, that is, you know, the the dispensation uh, story. There is no all these schemes of dispensationalism. They really don't exist, except in the imagination of the people. But I did talk to you about critical thinking. So people can't think critically. They they can't understand how things work. They just. You know, uh, they, they're not comprehending basic facts and putting it together in a way that is understandable to say the least. T- to comprehend what we would call right reason. You know, this critical thinking. Which means making reason judgments that are logical and well thought out. It is a way of thinking in which you don't simply accept all arguments and conclusions you are exposed to, but rather have an attitude involving questioning such an argument and conclusion. You know, it's analytical. Part of critical thinking is the ability to carefully examine something, whether it is a problem a set of data or text or whatever. You can critically look at it. Well, one of the things that makes that difficult is that we do not critically look at ourselves. And so we don't really understand what it is to be a critical thinker. So one of the things they, you know, and I, I went through some of the things that they they list, you know, uh, problem solving, open-mindedness, and creativity... And the willingness to communicate. To tell it like it is. Not bear false witness. To tell it like it is. Not make up something. And then put values on that information and analyze it to the point where you actually understand. Well, all this falls under the the heading of right reason. Now, the fact is, the truth of God is reasonable. But you don't come to the truth by reason. Come to the truth by revelation. And that was was part of the topic this morning, is that it is revelation that brings you to truth. But still, truth is reasonable. And why why is that of value, to know that? Well, if you realize something is true, and this is what happens when I read the Bible, and I read the Bible and I say, something's wrong with that. Something doesn't fit. I just know it. You know, that my inner compass just goes like, ah, that's leading my mind this way, but that isn't really where this author wanted to go. So I can look into it and find out what is reasonable. And I find out, oh, well, they didn't tell you that Corbin was a part of a system set up by Herod where everybody signed up and then paid in and this filled the treasuries of Herod, was allowed him to build the temple, There wasn't a big temple before Herod, so he built this big temple. Of course, now, David started building a big temple and he put it off because he realized that was wrong. He started drafting the people and he put it off because he realized that was wrong. Solomon came and built the temple. And Solomon whipped the people with whips. His son, Rehoboam, whipped the people with scorpions. That's what it says. My father whipped you with whips, I shall whip you with scorpions. Why is he whipping the people? Because he's forcing the contributions of the people. Even though that was exactly what God said would take place if you decide to have a king, a ruler, an executive officer, whatever you want to call him, elect one of these guys. He's going to take take and 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 take. And that's exactly what you get. Now, it doesn't take critical thinking. They're just telling you, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to cry out and I'm not even going to hear you. So now you want God to hear you. And, And the answer is there in the Bible all the time, right before you, but people don't see it because they don't read the Bible with a revelation of the Spirit. But, so I can come along and say, okay, you say you believe in the Bible, but the Bible says, thou shalt not covet. That if you do covet, and you engage in covetous practices, according to the New Testament, you will be brought again, entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You will be made merchandise, and your children will be cursed as surety for debt. That's what's all going to happen if you engage in covetous practices. And I wrote a whole book, Covenants of the Gods, to show you that it's already happened. You're already merchandised. You said, no, but Jesus saved us. Yeah, but Jesus also warned that there would be many that would come in his name, but they're actually workers of iniquity. So when you say save us, are you talking, are you one of those saved? No, you're not. Probably. I mean, what are you doing? Are you coveting your neighbor's goods? Are you serving two masters? Are you even serving Christ at all? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity? Because if you're not, you will be changed. Okay, the skills needed for critical thinking and the reason we're not going to come to the conclusion of the truth through critical thinking. Come to the realization of the truth through revelation. But applying critical thinking to think about ourselves and our status and our condition is going to help us understand where we went wrong. So here are some of the skills. that I mean, they list off, I think, six or seven, six skills. Think about a topic or issue in an objective and critical way. That's important. So again, if I point out that the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not covet, Christ said that you were not to covet. Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Paul says, thou shalt not covet. Don't have anything to do with the people who covet. Peter says that through covetous practices you will become merchandise, or, and, you will curse your children who will become a surety for debt. And you will again become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So Peter tells you this. Paul tells you this. John really tells you this. Jesus tells you this, but yet you still think you're saved because you love Jesus. But James tells us, if you say you love Jesus, judge them by their works. What are they doing? Well, they're doing covetous practices. They're going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and asking those men to provide them with benefits, guarantee benefits, guarantee entitlements, at the expense of my neighbor, through men who exercise authority. And over 50% of Americans are voting that way all the time. Because many Republicans vote that way. Almost all your Democrats vote that way. So none of those people who vote that way are Christians. Because they're not doing what Jesus said. Wow! They're not just felons. They're hypocrites and felons. (laughs) They're in violation of the Ten Commandments. They're in violation of Christ. They're in violation of Peter. They're in violation of Paul. We're not to have anything to do with them. Yet you do. Not only that, but you may be one of those people coveting your neighbor's goods. You go to church. You sing your songs. You praise one another. And you say you praise Jesus, but you don't do what he said. You're not a doer of the Word. As a matter of fact, you're heavily engaged in the Corbin and the Pharisees. So what's the second skill in critical thinking? Because people aren't very good at that. They're not looking at these things objectively. But the second one is identify the different arguments there are in relationship to a particular issue. So what is the argument that says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of government. People say, well, we're supposed to obey the government. The government does not command that you take benefits. It may command that you pay in because of agreements you already have or what have you, but it doesn't require that you apply for those benefits. You decide to do that. So, where is the argument that says it's okay to apply for benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and borrow money against the future of your children and your neighbor's children. Where is that side of the argument presented? Well, it isn't. You just ignore it because you're not a critical thinker. Evaluate a point, this number three, of a view to determine how strong or how valid it is. Where Who will argue against what I'm saying? If we're back to this critical thinking, so you evaluate points of view and determine how strong or how valid it is. And I think we have pretty good arguments to show that most Christians today, most modern Christians today, are not really Christians. They don't want to hear it. They just sit there with a deer in the headlight look because they aren't really critical of themselves yet. Everywhere in the Bible, In the Old and New Testament, it's constantly warning you to check your faith, to see if your faith is real. And, of course, James is saying, by what you're doing, we know whether your faith is real. And what most Christians are doing are not only contrary to the Old Testament, but they're contrary to the New. So, number five here in skills of critical thinking is notice what implication there might be behind a statement or argument. So, you know, what's a worker of iniquity? What's. Uh, if Christ said not to be a certain way and you are that way, then how can you say you're following Christ? And it's very clear that Christians are not following Christ. Oh, man, they will go up in arms and that, Pastor, Pastor, they're saying we're not Christians. Well, you're not. But I know that a lot of people are a part of these schemes and systems because they don't know the alternative because they've never really heard the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is about tens of thousands of people sitting down in the tens, uh, one hundreds, and one thousands, and this whole network of charity taking care of one another, not depending on any government benefits, any government welfare, any government free bread. But depending upon faith, open charity, and those that have, share with those that don't have enough. That's what they did when they went to church. When it was described, what they did when we went to church in 150 A.D., that's what they said they were doing. It's written down. Now, number six is provide structured reasoning and support for an argument that we wish to make. So, what is structured reasoning? You know, if he says, don't do this, then you can't do that and say that you're following him. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit to say that. So, that's what we've been laying out is this structured reasoning and this uh, structured uh, uh, gospel And, of course, lately we've been talking about the structure of the church and the structure of the kingdom of God because you need to understand how that works. And, of course, that structure is how things are connected. I mean, your leg bone is connected to your hip bone and your hip bone is connected to, you know, because that's part of your structure. So, what's the structure of the kingdom? Well, Jesus appoints a church, people, they receive the contributions of the people and redistribute them. If they don't do a good job redistributing those, uh, those gifts, gratuities, and benefits provided by the people through free will offerings, then the people will not donate to them anymore. That's, that's critical. So, what is uh, the four types of reasoning? Do you know what the four types of reasoning are? Well, actually, there's more than four types. But deductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning is a formal method of top-down logic that seems to find observations to prove a theory. You know, they go out and they look. Well, if you go out and see, this is one of the reasons why they stop you from studying history. If you were studying history, you would say, "Oh my gosh, socialism bad idea uh electing central leaders and giving them all kinds of power bad idea because history would show you i mean that's this that's the science experience that like uh we talked about the one congress lady who's, who uh was taking a medication, even though her doctor said she probably shouldn't, and she said that well, she had contacted the guy who invented the medication and he said it was okay." And she said, that's science. No, that's faith. (laughs) That's not science. You believe the doctor. You didn't look at studies that show that, oh yeah, well, we tried it with this and this and it had this effect. You didn't look at studies. That would be science. What you did is you asked somebody you believe in and he told you. And so you believed it was okay by faith. But anyway, deductive reasoning is that formal method of top-down logic that seeks to find observations to prove a theory. There's also inductive reasoning, abductive reasoning, and backwards induction. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and then there's also other critical thinking and um, uh, con- counterfactual thinking. Now that, that's, that's really kind of an interesting idea, this counterfactual reasoning. And, and, you know, if you, if you rationalize something out, I mean, how in the world can you think you're a Christian if you're doing the opposite of what Christ said to do? He said, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, don't covet. And yet, and don't look to the governments who exercise authority one over the other. Don't do that. Yet, that's exactly what all these people do. So, there's a serious problem with me believing that you're really a Christian, that you're really following the ways of Christ. So, this reasoning is a process of thinking about uh, things in a logical, rational way. It is considered an innate human ability that has been formalized by fields such as logic, mathematics and artificial intelligence. The process of reasoning is used to make decisions, solve problems, evaluate things. It can be formal or informal, top down or bottom up. It can differ in terms of handling of uncertainty or even in partial truths. So, like I said, deductive reasoning is this formal method. Inductive reasoning is bottom-up logic that seeks theories to explain observations. It is exploratory in nature and allows for uncertain but likely results. There's also abductive reasoning. Let me go back and see if there's Anyway, abductive reasoning, like induction, uh, seeks theories to explain observations. So, you know, it's like theorems. You know, you you see this is this and this is this. So why is that? Why does that come about? So you look out there at society and you see there's a breakdown in society. It's hard to find employees, uh, uh, you know, that can pass a drug test and show up to work. And then when they show up... Are they really willing to work? I mean, this is really a problem. Well, how did we get to that point? How, how did the the and then of course these people end up poor and they end up on unemployment, and they end up on welfare. So why so many? Well, abductive reasoning should tell you through observation. It is less rigorous and allows for the best guesses. Abductive reasoning is typically used in the context of uncertainty. But backwards induction is something else. Backward induction is a top-down approach that starts with theories or in states and works backwards to explain them. It allows for uncertainty and is commonly used in critical intelligence. For example, it's a classic way of a uh, computer to play chess by considering the game in states and working backwards to evaluate the moves. So you, you look, if I move here, then they can move here, here, and here, and here. And then if I move here, and so they go through all these different moves and they see which ones get the best results. And... Uh, To some degree, we see that, but again, you can't apply such critical thinking as backward induction unless you have all the facts. You know, like critical thinking is this process of rational thoughts that seek to draw conclusions in an objective, thorough, and informed manner. So how can you be totally informed about anything? It's a product of human thought and is influenced by factors such as culture and language, because these are the things that you use to place value on facts. Human thought is based on natural language that allows for a great range of ideas to be contemplated. For example, humans can easily process partial truths, commonly known as gray areas, that tend to be a challenge in the field of logic. And of course we're dealing with a lot of gray areas, but a lot of the things is not really that gray. You know, I mean, coveting your neighbor's goods, desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, that's not a gray area. It was, God is against it, Moses was against it, Christ is against it, Paul was against it. But the modern Christians, it's okay to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And we've given you the historical references to what happens to a society when they do that. And then, of course, now here's one of the, uh, the there's actually two more. One of the, is the counterfactual thinking. It's considered things that are known to be impossible. The most uh, common example of this is evaluating past decisions that were once Possible, but are now impossible as their time horizon has passed. Considering how past decisions might have worked out is a common human thought process and may improve decision-making abilities. Well, I don't know how things would have worked out or how they could have worked out. And, uh you know, like, what happened if I... I decided to become a lawyer like my father wanted. Where would I be today? Well, I might be on my third wife and, uh, you know, having broken marriages. I mean, who knows? You change all these factors, you know, the butterfly effect, you know, where you change little factors that can have a tremendous effect. If you change some big factors in your life, you could have unbelievable effect. You decided to marry this person instead of that person, or you decided to get married instead of not get married, or not get married instead of get, you know, whatever your situation is. What would be the end result? You, you can't, you can't tell. It, it, there's too many variables. And this is one of the problems with critical thinking. Now, I talk a lot about facts and information and point out stuff from the tree of knowledge. You didn't know this about Corbin. You didn't know this about the social welfare scheme of Herod. You didn't know this, that, uh, uh you know, th- it says this in the Bible, you know, uh dispensation, and that's actually the word for stewardship. It's not for dispensation. But they translate it that way. It's just, there may have been some reason how that word was defined back when they translated the Bible, but it really is unjustified now. Now, the seventh form of critical thinking or reasoning is what they call intuition. Intuition are judgments that are made by the mind that are perceived by the unconscious. Such judgment exhibit intelligence, but the process by which they are generated aren't well understood. Although intuition is sometimes taken lightly, it has played a significant role in scientific discovery. They intuit the answer. They just know what the answer is. Then they have to go back and prove that that's the answer, but they intuit it. Well, it could be that the subconscious is so logical that it's just figuring this out for you, or it could be that you are divinely inspired, and that's that's the question. Because if you're divinely inspired, there still may be a logical reason you just don't know what it is because you intuited the answer, or it's the result of revelation. And so, how do you know which is which? How, how do you know if this is revelation of God or is this uh, your own imagination or is it influences from other people? Well, that's that's a critical thing. And that's kind of why you have the Bible because now you have to put value on the fruits that a person generates because by their fruits, you will know them. And we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, when we made a lot of these rational discoveries, or or revelational discoveries about how we were missing... See, I started out... uh, I began to attend the seminary uh, and take classes at St. Joseph's College back in 1962, I think it was. And I was 13 years old at the time. So... Would that have been, yeah, you know, somewhere around 62, anyway. And, uh, uh, I began to, you know, look at the Bible, look at things with a little bit more knowledge, because I was now learning more about, you know, the doctrines of churches and, and the way in which they look at things. And I was also observing people. But I realized that, uh, they were missing something, and I talked to people who were fairly well-learned, uh, people, uh, people in authority, and though I had it, I didn't realize that I was seeing things different than other people. I thought everybody else saw this too, cause, cause to me it saw, seemed obvious. But the more I, you know, I would listen to some and it would be like, they're not making any sense at all. But they had this sing-songy voice and, uh, you know, talking about how wonderful things are and all this kind of stuff. But uh, they did not really understand, you know, some of the basics of the gospel. And, of course, they've seen lots of ministers since then. And I pointed out to the different ministers... They have really little argument, any critical thinking argument against what I'm saying. Because it's, it's all there in black and white. But they don't want to accept it as true. They don't want to believe that it's the way it is. Uh, and, and the way it sounds like it is. They don't want to face that reality. And accept it as true. So they ignore it and they go out and there are preachers that are out there saying, oh, no, all you have to do is this, all you have to do is that. And it's not really the case. It's not really true. So anyway, if we were to take a particular, you know, like I said, this structured reasoning and, you know, I mean, you you really can't argue against any of these things that I'm saying. They're just so obvious. So what people actually, they, they want to turn you off. You know, that's what they wanted to do with Christ. Christ kept telling them the truth, and they wanted to turn Christ off. And so they crucified Him. They didn't want to hear what Christ had to say. They didn't want to go the way of Christ. They were afraid to, but also they just totally objected to doing something different than what they were already doing. They were too comfortable. And of course, God would not hear them in their days and they cried out because eventually Titus invades and takes Jerusalem and kills people till the blood is up to the bridle of the horses. So, God did not hear them, but the Christians who had repented, they had a place to go and they came out of Jerusalem and they went all over the Roman Empire and beyond and were, were free. They, they had to work for a living. They had to work to take care of one another, but they were free. Modern Christians are not free. They're licensed. They're permitted. Oh, speaking of license, that's a, there's a new bill coming out. I guess it's actually already been voted on somehow or other. I don't know. Maybe they're just putting it out or g- gathering support because the session is actually closed. But they want to make it legal for illegal immigrants to get a driver's license. And of course, that's a quick avenue towards the vote, but they want to have, have the driver's license. And... All they have to do is testify that they've never had a social security number, and they can get they can get a driver's license and the interesting thing is is that if you actually go in and you don't have a social security number to give, but you say, "Well, I may have had one at one time, but I've given it back and I don't have it anymore," they say, "Well, we don't actually need the number." We just need your testimony that you have one somewhere for benefit purposes. And they make that specific for benefit purposes. Because your Social Security is really your mark of the beast. It, it is it is how you get your benefits. Without that, you can't get your benefits. Although, now there all these congressmen are trying to pass laws that you can be an illegal a- alien and you can get all kinds of benefits. And we pointed out... And, Australia and the United States that an illegal or at least a even a legal immigrant can get more benefits than a veteran that illegal immigrants to Australia get more benefits than somebody who's worked there all their life that's just that's just crazy so. Well, how has this come about that things can be so illogical and so unprepared and so uh, so mixed up, so chaotic? Well, we've degenerated. And we've degenerated because socialism. Socialism in general has a record of failure so blatant that only an intellectual could ignore or evade it. So, who said that? Who am I quoting there? Well, that's actually Thomas Sowell. He says it it takes considerable knowledge just to realize the extent of your own ignorance. Much of the social history of the Western world over the past three decades has been a history of replacing what worked with what sounded good. And that's what they're doing, is they're replacing what works with what they think sounds good, but it only sounds good because they don't have critical thinking. Or they don't have revelation, because revelation can give you the critical thinking that is necessary. So, what is, what is the uh, answer to our problems, our dilemma in time and space? It seems like people are just flat out asleep or distracted. And, of course, we know that in the uh, original gospel, Christ had a tr- trouble with that, that people were always making these excuses as to why they weren't doing what He said that they should be doing. We just got word that they're not going to put high-speed Internet into our community. They're going to put it in the community to the north and the community to the south, and they're not going to put it here. We knew that they were running the cable through, but evidently they are not going to give us high-speed Internet. So we're going to keep plugging along with these low deals. We were hoping that if we got it in, then we could start doing videos and live chats and all this stuff. We can't do that. You know, the fact is is that people are just going to have to decide what they want to do and help us pursue that. And... Uh, you know one of the things if you go uh this is one of the things i'll be doing i'll be setting up videos where you can go and uh you know like i i said i just put up genesis 3 genesis chapter 3 is on there and then i have this little study comments over there on the side so if somebody wanted to study that and i've been adding something like that every day uh you know, are the way page. That's what Christianity was called, the way. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So that's Genesis 18. They're talking about the way. Christ talked about the way. The Pharisees were not going the way. The corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. It was the way of the world that wasn't the way of righteousness. And so, understanding all this, we we put the, together the whole article. But there are so many articles here in the the website that are constantly being upgraded and added to, uh, uh, added to, and provided uh for so that people can do this study and understand but it doesn't do you any good unless you actually apply yourself to doing the word of Christ. You have to apply yourself to doing the word. If you're not a doer of the word, well then that's the problem. You you need you have need of repentance to turn around and go the other way. So, uh, we have every, every week we add more pages. Every week we add more data and information to the website. And, uh, we have lots of people working on it. And, uh, although I, I do a great deal of the work, uh, adding and building this up, but you need to do work, uh, to find out what is actually happening you know on a on a regular basis in the network and be a part of that network helping one another see today I changed uh genesis three uh, the the way uh idols I added to those pages uh yesterday I added to the page on faith um the day before that, Alkali Lake, which is that toxic uh, landfill in Oregon that is got some of the most carcinogenic materials blowing around that known to man. And uh, then the page on audios, that's again. And, uh, but I also see Caleb was doing some work, uh, other people were doing work on on the website and you can just go right on back and see all the different uh, you know pages that are constantly being upgraded and constantly being improved you know over the last years that the site was in place and so what are some of the things you know, Ecclesiastes uh Ecclesiasticus uh we added that. Uh changes to the doer of the word, uh changes to the troll page, Tra- changes to the warning page that gives you the warnings that Peter, Paul, James warned about. Uh I mean we have all these different pages after pages, after pages, Augustine of Hippo. And now we've put audios with that to help you understand. But none of it has any value unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to be willing to do that in order to turn things around in your own life. To say nothing of the lives of others. So, that's, uh, that's part of the process. And you have to make yourself a part of that process. What we did in the network was uh like I say, we have a network that covers the whole world, of course some you know Asia's got one, so that's you know a couple billion people in asia and uh and we don't have very many people, of course they have very controlled internet it's another language in most places but uh, like I said, we had two people join. Uh, or should be joining. One at least joined from Canada and another one that should be joining. And uh, the more you get to join, then you start forming those networks. And then those people that are in those networks can apply themselves to seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness by coming together. Not with perfect people, but with people who are looking to be perfected in Christ. We don't we're not big on ear tickling we're not going to, you know, make everything real comfortable. Is you know, seeking the kingdom of God is a job. It's something you need to be doing. It's you can't just say lord lord, you have to be a doer of that word. So the more people that come together in the living congregation, which is not the email groups, because each congregation can have their own email and exchange on that level and nobody else will see it. And it's just personal and private within that email. And if they can sit down and meet together, that would even be greater. And that's what I may be doing is having a meeting here and uh, and see if we can't develop more local interest because we can sit there and have actual questions in Bible study. Some people want to have a church service that, you know, it's singing. It's not Bible Bible study. But right, you know, it's it's one of the big needs is that we need to, in order to have that critical thinking, we need to have the facts and information that bring about an understanding of what the gospel is all about. Because I've said it all before. I've gotten to the point where I've said it all before. And I don't know if I'm going to have these afternoon shows if we can't get more productive because we're going to be starting to do videos and and uh and go places uh in order to do that and uh my days are pretty full as it is. So that becomes quite a task and uh uh to do all these things and to do all these shows and to tell you the truth this afternoon show it's it's really hard to do. I might take it back up in the winter but I don't know if I'm gonna keep doing it. Also I should probably do a few more Bible studies. We've done Romans. We teach a lot of things about health and food and and this is what every congregation should be doing. You know, I mean we actually had somebody in a congregation that was snake bit by a cotton mouth and they went to the doctor and the doctor couldn't do anything and didn't know what to do. But we had people in a network that knew what to do. We had somebody was actually in um uh, they went to a protest. They weren't part of our congregation, but they... Actually, I think the people that were actually pepper-sprayed were not even at the protest, but they got cornered by the police because they were down on the street, and then when they tried to go get away, they got pepper-sprayed, and they had a baby with them, and the baby got pepper-sprayed and in the eyes because they were just shooting us everywhere, and they wanted to know what to do. Well... We went on the network, and within minutes, we knew what to do. Evidently, pepper spray, If just to give you a tidbit of information, because just like you Google things to find answers, we can go to the network and find answers. But these answers are based in compassion and love. So what what do we do? Well, I got a hold of the person, because somebody told me, I didn't even know this, is that pepper spray has a certain kind of oil in it. If you use warm water or... Soap or any of these things, they all are not going to really work. What you need to use is milk. That's right. It has an ingredients in milk that will actually break the pepper, the hot part of the pepper spray away from the body and protect you. Uh, so what you need to do is run into a grocery store, convenience store, get some milk and then start pouring that on your face and around your eyes and, and it will wash the oils out. And the, the burning part of the pepper spray. Didn't know that. And somebody tried it and it worked really good right away. And it's just, it's built to do that way. It's made to do that way. The guy who originally invented pe- pepper spray never intended it to be used for the way they do for crowd control, et cetera. That That's just a tidbit of information. But see, when you start gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and sit down and, and deal with the questions of practical living together practical taking care of health needs and welfare needs and and uh business needs you know we had uh we somebody was supposed to help out with a particular project of somebody in one of the congregations here and uh suddenly he got trapped in malaysia i guess it is uh He'd gone across the border to think he did everything legally, but he failed to get a stamp that he didn't realize he needed, and they found out about it, and they threw him in a jail with feces on the wall and, you know, kind of bread and water kind of diet and, you know, really bad people in a Malaysian jail, okay? Uh, Not a pretty place to be. He was with uh, a girl... And she got thrown in jail, too. And so she's in jail, and they're both in jail. They may have a hearing tomorrow. But they couldn't make it back here to work at a particular job. We have a, uh, we may have some work for somebody down in the California area. But the more people that we add to the network, the more we can find work. We had people got injured, and people went and helped them with their work, helped them with their health, helped them with their medical bills because the idea is to help one another but we cannot do that if you don't sit down in the tens hundreds of thousands and we actually have people trying to divide people off by doctrinal issues that are not specific to Christ you know that they, they, they make up these rules you know and they divide the people you don't want to do that just as an example i mean we had people that could you know give massage therapy Uh, for a girl with scoliosis, and it would just straighten out her back. And there was no physical manipulation. It was just the addition of oils. People with uh, other health issues, we find solutions that don't cost you anything, and the side effects are good, not bad. And I'm not going to go through the whole long list of things, but those things do exist they are available. They've been available for thousands of years. How to take care of yourself. Food is the best medicine. But how do you do that? Uh, what do you do to make that come about? Well, that's why you sit down in the tens, hundreds, the thousands, because people will come up with those answers. And so the, you don't go to church to feel good. You go to church to do good. It's a different attitude. And you get a different response. So, anyway, I'm going to end the program early. And, uh, what we're going to, what I want you all to do is go to preparingyou.com and join the network. And then make, you know, in your geographical area, become a member with email then try to make contact and form these congregations there'll be people there that can help you do it and then pick a minister and uh and start helping one another and start promoting the network and the more you do that the bigger the network gets and the safer you go that's that's not investing in a central treasury somewhere, or in Benton, they can exercise authority, but it's investing in the kingdom. It's investing in one another. And that's what you should be doing. And as the network grows, you will become protected, uh, both spiritually and logically, with critical thinking. Because, I mean, if there was there was an emergency in your area and you had to flee it, where would you go? But if you're part of a national international network, if you get arrested in Malaysia, if we had a network uh, that reached all the way to Malaysia and we do have groups that would cover that area, we would have people. If you're, you know, like uh, we have more interest in South Africa, uh, if we had congregations starting there and things got bad and you had to flee South Africa, we, we would have a place to receive you. But why would we receive those people that are not being effectively seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If you will not sacrifice for others, why should others be expected to sacrifice for you? If you will not open up your arms to others, then why would anybody open up their arms to you? So this is the way it goes. This is the way it works. This is how it operates in the kingdom of God. And you have to cultivate that. You have to be dedicated to that. You can't be going off because of some particular objection, mental objection, doctrinal objection. If the doctrine wasn't written by Christ, if it wasn't expressed by Christ, then it's not the doctrines of Christ. And the church has the doctrines and ordinances of Christ. So if Christ didn't say you had to do it, then you don't have to do it as far as work are concerned. You can do it. But if you won't do what Christ said, then we probably don't want to have anything to do with you. That's what Paul says. So you're just going to have to figure out how that works and figure out where you can work that into your own life and your own schedule and your own interaction. Because if you will not be governed by God in righteousness, you will be governed by tyrants. So, join the network. Become a part of the Living Network. And may God be with you. Peace on your house. God bless.